from the Caribbean And I'm a Christian boy Oh lad, oh lad Nothing wrong with dancing But our culture Nowhere's rotating, no Don't let the devil tempt you Christian from the Caribbean Hello and welcome this is Inspiration for Your Day. I'm so happy you decided to make inspiration a part of your day. My name is Nicole Georges Bennett and I will be your host for this next little while as we celebrate a new day of life together. This is indeed the day that the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so happy that you decided to join me for today's uh, special podcast. And I say special because it's all for you. And of course, to the glory of God. We've got a full, full day today. We have the Burning Love Moment coming up with uh, Pastor Sarita Jones-Harshaw and Dr. Sylvia Shipman, and they have some special guests on today. Should be a very exciting uh, episode of the Burning Love Outreach segment. And then later on, I've got this absolutely fascinating uh, program clip from Groundworks talking about the final words of Christ on the cross specifically his cry to the father why have you forsaken me so that should be a very fascinating uh, discussion and i'm sure you don't want to miss that as we are heading into the easter season if you can believe it yeah time is really passing so stick around this is inspiration for your day struggling with the chains of drug addiction? Do you feel like there's no hope or no escape from your situation? My name is Sarita Jones. I am the founder and president of Burning Love Outreach. This ministry is based upon my real life experience. Led by the Holy Spirit, I traveled from a life of darkness and despair, suffering from drug abuse and addiction, to be reborn to a life filled with light, hope, and love. My goal is to see others experience the same joyful rebirth, to be bigger, bolder, and more valuable than they have ever imagined. For speaking engagements that will inspire a change in your community, please visit my website at burningloveoutreach.org. 
Remember, God has a plan for your life. So don't give in, don't give out, and don't give up. Hello, everyone. This is Sarita from Burning Love Outreach, along with my co-host, Sylvia. We're coming to you today with a burning love moment. You know, this is a time that we use to inspire and encourage other individuals who may be struggling with everyday life issues. And you know, for the months of February and March, our topic has been love. And we are happy to have two special individuals with us today. And they are going to be sharing their story with us. They have been married for over 30 years. And as a matter of fact, they've been married for 33 years. And they are going to share how their relationship is truly a love connection and how they have not easily been broken. Yes. Um... Sarita, uh, I'm so excited about this topic and I know we're gonna have an amazing time today. Just wanna give a uh, disclaimer about uh, who Sarita and I are. We are not doctors or psychologists or psychiatrists. However, we are on a mandate of God to do his work, to encourage, to inspire, to build up God's people on this platform. So we hope that you all are ready to receive what God has for you on this amazing day. And saying that, Sarita, we're going to go into a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we adore you. We thank you for this moment of inspiration for the day, Lord God, and all the vessels that you have called here for such a time as this, that they can glean from what you are administering through our guests today, Lord God. Have that way with us and use us mightily for your glory. Continue to fill our mouth up with the utterance of your word, of everything that needs to be prayed, done, and shared so that you will receive glory and honor and transform the lives of the hearers that hear your voice as you instruct them in a manner which pleases you. This we pray and glorify you in Jesus' name. So be it, and so it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Again, and as I mentioned, our guests, they have been married for over 33 years. They are both um, veterans of the U.S. military, and they have been in ministry for almost 25 years. And we just thank God for them being with us today. They have enjoyed doing life together. God has blessed their union to um, have two children and they have one granddaughter. And I know your granddaughter's name is Savannah. But my granddaughter's name is Savannah. So I remember wow. that. Yes, yes. They are powerhouses from the um, Virginia area, and we are going to talk with them today about what has kept their marriage glued together and kept them not easily broken. Please help me welcome Pastor Apostle Ray and Pastor Sharon McQueen with us. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for, Thank having, you for having, us. having us. Thank you. Thank you. We're so honored to be here. Yeah, yes. and it's a pleasure to, to meet you, Pastor Sharon. I have seen the things that you have done, and it is amazing how you're working with women and, um, you know, helping them to improve their life with a relationship with God. So we want to get to yeah. the meat of things, and we want to talk about what has really kept you two in love, what has kept you glued mm -hmm. together. For 33 years, and you, we could tell that you love one another. We could tell that you're still in love and that yeah. you like each other. So please share with mm. us what kept you not easily broken. Wow. Go ahead, honey. Well, I, I can say for, for me, it's definitely our faith 
individually in God mm-hmm. that has really kept us. You know, we often share our story about how we were both in the military. I was in the Navy. He was in the Air Force and how uh, we met one another at church yep. and how he was believing God for five years yep. for a wife. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in the military in California and I was reassigned to South Carolina mm-hmm. uh, where he was stationed. Yep. And he said, when I walked into the doors of the church, it was as if I was walking in slow motion. Yeah, that movie, <laughs> that movie scene. That <laughs> and he said, God said, behold, you're red. You know, and so the rest is history. But it was really our faith. Mm-hmm. It, that really, it, it starts off, that's our foundation. Yeah, we always say that it is our faith that has held us together. It was our faith that we started together. Yes. And it's been our faith that has held us together. And so we can always say that we always point to our faith in God, our relationship, our individual relationships that we have with God, as well as us coming together as a relationship with God as well. So it has definitely been our faith that has been our glue and that has held us together. Yeah, that's been our faith. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, it's our faith. Go ahead. I was no. just going to ask you, did you know when you saw him that he was the one? Because it seems like, like he knew you were the one. Mm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, but um, when I met him, it was something about him. And um, I began to have dreams. I remember that, yeah. And in this dream, I would have dreams of him. And, um, and in the dreams, it would be storms. And it's like, I'm drifting away. I'm being drawn out in the storm. And there's a hand that reaches out and pulls me out. And when I see the face of the one that was pulling me out, it was my husband. Oh, wow. And I had more encounters and dreams. And then I remember it was another dream I had. And I was dressed in all white. And it was a man beside me in an all white and there was a preacher and it was a wedding and I was getting married Mm -hmm. and it was this little old lady that was telling me it's okay baby go ahead but I couldn't see the face of the man and then after she told me go ahead baby it's okay when I turned around when I saw the face of the man it was my husband it was uh Ray Apostle Ray and so I began having having different dreams and we tell people don't practice this at home you know (laughs) you better know this is what God is telling you. Yes. So that's yes. why we started off saying it was our faith. Yeah. It was my personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It was his personal relationship right. with God. But our marriage does require work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I want to go back to that faith part, too, because I had a prayer life because I got saved at 19 and we got married in 20 and I was 23. But I was believing God not to date anyone. I didn't want to date anybody at that time because I was really in the things of God. I want to know more about God. I didn't want any distractions with my relationship with God. So I wasn't looking for a someone to date. I was asking God for a wife. And the scripture is very clear that he that finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. So that's what I was waiting for those five years. So when I saw her visit our church, I had been praying and I gave God my request. These are the things that I desire because the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so I put natural things, spiritual things, but the most important thing that I put is that I wanted this person to love God more than me. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so, um, and when I saw her, I knew immediately the spirit of God spoke to me and said, this is your rib. Awesome. And I knew that God would deal with her eventually about it. Yeah. And so I was sure about that. And so that's what we always go back to our faith. The thing that brought us together is the thing that's keeping us together. Yes. Yes. And so faith without works is. And we have to work now. 
That's so you got to work. You know, marriage is work. Marriage is work. And it, it requires us working on ourselves. You know, a lot, a lot of times people think when you get married, your job is to work on your spouse. Mm-hmm. No, you got to continue. And we work as well on our relationship. Yeah. yeah, and that's 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 a question I want to ask because it sounds like just hearing your testimony is beautiful as well. That you guys started walking with the Lord even more in the beginning of your relationship with the Lord, even as husbands and wives. How did that influence or impact your relationship, especially you going into ministries and you know pastoral mm-hmm. position and being fresh married and fresh mm-hmm. walking with the Lord and all of that? How did that? How did the relationship continue to grow? Or did you have some stumbling blocks there at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. we've had some stumbling blocks, but one thing that we did, we always did things together in ministry. Before we were called to be pastors, we always did things together in ministry, which impacted our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to talk about the things of God. We were always on the same page. And even when we had challenges or stumbling blocks, we were able to talk about it because we was always together. It's, it's, It's hard to be with someone you've had a problem or obstacle and you can't talk. Or you can't say anything because you're always together. And so, you know, sometimes men have a tendency of going back to my wife. We saw this morning, men going into that happy place and being the happy place is a place of silence. It's a place of a one word answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And okay. so what do you, call that? Being, what you call that for men? I, I call that the happy place. Okay. Okay. Now you just educated <laughs> That's the happy place for me. And they go into a place where they don't want to talk about it. They give you one word answer. Okay. They get silent. Okay. And so that's their happy place. But okay. you have to pull them out. Women have to pull them out of it. I tell you, when they and go so, in that happy place, they don't want to talk. Nope. They nope. don't want to love. Yeah. But but since we do everything together, that's why we're able to defeat everything the enemy tried to bring up against our marriage yeah. or against our relationships. And like my wife said this morning, we was on our Bible study this morning with our church. And we were saying that, you know, when you're talking about relationship, you cannot make it seem like everything is perfect because it's not. Yeah. Every relationship has challenges. Marriages has challenges. But we've done everything together for so long Mm -hmm. that we've always talked about. We've always, you know, able to communicate. And, you know, and what is the work? The work is defining your roles, you know, Mm -hmm. setting, uh, giving clarity. Mm -hmm. That's the work. You know, so every season or every stage that we were in, we define the roles you know, you may be good at one thing. And, and so, I, and when I say defining roles, I'm not talking about traditional roles. I'm talking about what works for your relationship. Sure. There may be things that you may be good at that society said the husband is supposed to be or vice right. versa. You have to make what works for um, your relationship within the, um, the, according to the scripture. Right. You know, and so we always define roles in whatever season we in. So when we went into full-time ministry, we talked about, um, our roles based on our gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I have a gift of administration. I am very strong in it. He's not as strong. So I utilize that gift within ministry. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? So he has certain gifts and he flow in the gifts that he, and so I think a lot of times we're not there to compete. We're there to complete. Mm-hmm. We're not there to weaken. We're there to strengthen one another. And I think sometimes in relationships, we don't uh, give clarity a talk about the role. Mm-hmm. We just look at what they got, you know, and I don't have that. Right. She's strong in that, or he's strong in that, and I don't have that. No, but what are you strong in? You yeah. bring it together, you make it whole. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes yeah. couples have a tendency of not, when they don't know their role mm-hmm. or their gifts, they'll start competing with each other. 
That's and true. also being jealous of each other's gifts. That's true. And we know that's the enemy. And that's one thing that we've already understood. We define what she's big into administration, big into management, big into things like that. I'm big in the structure. I'm big in the teaching and preaching. And vision. And, and, and casting vision. And so mm -hmm. we learned that whatever your strength is, it's helping me with my weakness. Vice versa. And then vice versa. And so we're able so we're to complete. complete. There you go. Yeah. 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 You know what? That is, you guys have given so much information, yeah. right? But one thing I want to pick out is when you say men get in that happy place, mm -hmm. how women, we as women help bring our men out of that happy place? I think men needs to be affirmed. Um, that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling, but at the same time, we got to show them empathy and not sympathy. Okay, I can empathize with you, but we need to deal with the situation. Correct. And I think what you have to do is just, one of the things I always try to say, try not to let them go to that happy place. And I think sometimes men doesn't feel like they're being listened to, yeah. especially with their wife. You know, you had said, uh, Apostle Ray said one time when he was preaching a sermon, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he said, as women, it's important that we speak to the to the, oh, king the king inside of the man and, not the, and mm -hmm. not the the boy or the child inside of a man and sometimes as women we have to um when we talk to the king when he when you said that you can correct me if i'm wrong you you meant like affirming or saying who he is mm -hmm. and, and and versus talking to him like he's a child mm -hmm. exactly and you were sharing how that causes the man to go into the happy place because you know you're talking to him like a child like you putting him in time out mm -hmm. you know and so he's going into time out versus speaking to you know whatever you speak to is what you're going to get yeah, and if you speak to the king yes i have yes, <laughs> Dang. So if you speak to the king, that's what you're going to get. A king is one that, that, that has authority. authority. He speaks with authority. He commands. He provides. He protects. That's but if you speak to the child, then that's what you're going to get. You got to do everything. You got to think of everything. And, and as women, we get frustrated. Yeah. And so okay. we have to be mindful of what we're speaking to mm -hmm. because that's what we're getting. And if you, you're tired of what you get, then watch what you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. Words matter. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, but I got a question, Pastor Sharon. When you see such acts, and this is us being vulnerable here, and you see the child coming out and not the king, how do you deal with that? When you see the, the not king responding to you as a king, however, and you have to respond mm -hmm. as we all have done with our spouses and just be firm and like, oh, okay, I just messed that up, but you did it anyway. How do you correct that? <laughs> Keep that king, the key, you know, nurturing that king and not the person that you're like, who are you? Yeah. What is this? You know, you know sometimes as, you know, sometimes as women, we do, you know, a, a lot of women, we're, we're strong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we like to get things done. And sometimes if our king ain't moving fast enough, but, you know, sometimes we got to back, we got to slow down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we got to give our, our husband some space. Mm -hmm. Let them breathe a little bit. Sometimes we have to apologize. Mm -hmm. Then there's sometimes when I tell my husband, um, uh, because he is a honey too, you know, sometimes people just see him as Apostle Ray McQueen, but he's also my husband. And at home, I call him honey, right. you know, uh, but, uh, but I said, honey, no, that's not you. That is not, that is not you. Yeah, you do and that. I said, honey, you got to know who you are. God has brought you out. Sometimes I have to remind him, you know, uh, 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 what God has done for him in the past, what God has done for us, or how God has used him to be a blessing 
to us. You know, sometimes when our husbands are discouraged, when they're going through so many things, we got to begin to speak some. And then sometimes we say, well, nobody's speaking to me. But you know what? God has given a woman the ability and strength and, and caused us to adapt. You know, you know, God has made us a certain way where we can press through. The Bible calls us his uh, his helper. You know, and I think about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he leads and he guides us into all truth. And the, and the Holy Spirit brings everything back to remembrance, everything that God said to us about who we are. And we're like our husband's helper. And so we got to begin to remind him yeah. of everything that God said he can have, who he can be. That's right. You know? That's, good. That's good. Look, I was preaching about, now I was preaching about in this series, I've been, I was preaching about Jezebel. And a lot of times when we hear Jezebel, we hear a lot of negative things about her. But I begin to share some principles about Jezebel that she spoke into that life of Ahab, who was the king. Now, you all probably know the story where Ahab had wanted a vineyard, Naboth's vineyard that had been passed down through generations and his ancestors had given it to him. But it was Ahab that wanted that vineyard. And, and Nahab said, I can't give you the vineyard because it's been passed down. So Ahab goes home crying to his wife Jezebel and Jezebel begins to understand why you're not eating, why you're not sleeping. And she begins to speak to the king in him. She said, you're the king. She began to let him know who he was. Like, that is not who you are. Just like what Pastor Sharon said, honey, that's not who you are. This is who you are. And Jezebel began to speak into the life of Ahab, telling him who he was. She said, you're the king. And, and, and when you sin. affirm your husband, he begins to trust in you. Yeah. Yes. When, when you talk to him any kind of way, he, you don't want him listening to outsiders. That's right. You want him to, he, the Bible says in Proverbs how his heart safely trusts trust. in her, That's right. that virtuous woman. Yeah. And, and you earn your husband's trust when you begin to speak into his life and encourage him. And then once you begin to do that, you know, he'll begin to trust you. That's awesome. And he'll begin, but it, I'm not making it where it's just our husband. It's, it's, mutual right. women we need those things too but you know the question started off with with our husbands mm -hmm. because right. a lot of times our you know you just don't know i'm i'm blessed because i married a man whose father was in his life but not every woman is married to a man who had that and and had that's that so role true. model so true you know that's powerful there you mm -hmm. go with that that is so powerful because there are yeah. some men that are dealing with things on the inside that you're they would never know. Some wives would never know what they're dealing with on the inside. You know, it's almost like I heard someone say on Valentine's Day, a husband give his wife flowers and the next day can ask for a divorce because there could be something going on the inside of him and never knowing what's happening on the inside of him. Because sometimes men can be very difficult to understand. You know, we talk about women are difficult. I think men are more difficult to understand than women. He said, yes. I mean, because there are a lot of men, when their fathers, especially when their fathers, especially when their fathers are not in their life, they deal with a lot of stuff, man. They deal with a lot of stuff. And as a pastor, I deal with a lot of men who didn't have fathers in their life. And it is very difficult, you know, to get them to follow or to get them to, to open up. To open yeah. up. Oh, God. To, to open tear down up. those walls. Yeah, to tear down those walls because they look but at every possible. man. It's possible. Because a lot of men like that, they look at other, every man, every man like their father. And sometimes they can look at their wives like that because they sense a sense of abandonment. Maybe yes. I, I'm not good. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not, wow. you know, and so they feel a sense of abandonment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is so powerful. And I believe a lot of people are being blessed just by what you're mm -hmm. saying. Absolutely. And, and um, Pastor Sharon, like you, you were saying, we women, we are strong minded. And sometimes we try to 
play the role of the man in the marriage? Mm. What would you say to women that try to take on that role as the head when they have a husband in the household, wow. but the woman is trying to take over as the head? What would you say to them in that particular situation? I think a lot of times you have to really back up and, and give your husband um, the, the space, give him, get out of his position and let him do what he need to do. One of the words I was thinking about when, as you were asking me that question, I was thinking patience. Mm. I was thinking patience as you were asking me that I was thinking the word patient. A lot of times women, we're not patient. And, and he's not moving fast enough. Because he's not moving fast enough, you go ahead and do it. Versus just, you know, backing up. It's not a big deal. You know, a lot of times we make a big deal over small things. Let's deal with the root of the matter. You know, let, let me deal with me. Maybe I'm just, I just need to back up. And uh, a lot of times women, we don't like to ask for help. You know, and so sometimes we need to back up and, and be patient and let him do it. And if he don't do it the way you want it done, at least it's done. I think we have to refocus, change our perspective. Mm -hmm. And if we want him to lead, then we need to let him lead. And if you don't move fast enough to say, Lord, I thank you, you're developing, developing patience on the inside of me. And then when he do it, thank him versus being critical of it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you know, being critical of those things he do. But I think a lot of times as women, we just need to slow down, back up. It's going back when I said earlier about defining roles. Okay, honey, what, what do you want to do? You know, what, what do you do best in the house? He may, he probably can cook better than let him cook, you know, those things. And then let him do it mm. versus trying to put your hands in everything. So women of God, number one, be patient. Number two, don't put your hand in everything. That's good. Trust him to do it. And if he don't do it like you, like this, thank him for what he's done. That's beautiful. You know, and be a support to him. That's awesome. Pastor um, Ray, what, how do you treat your queen and that you can share with the audience how to really treat that queen that God has entrusted you with? How do you say? I think always trying to, one, one of the things I love to do, Sylvie, is that I always make sure I pray for my wife every day. Mm. You know, I pray for her every day. I always go back to the spiritual aspect of it because I think sometimes we see marriage, we see it from a more, a more natural relationship than you do spiritual. Yeah. And so for me, I always say the spiritual is first and then the natural. Yeah. Everything that we see in the natural is a result of what's happened spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so I pray for her every day. And then I'm trying to, and I always try to be very thoughtful of her as well. Uh, what her needs are, what does she want to do? I always encourage her and affirming her as well. And also trying to put her first in my life because early on in our marriage, I was a very selfish person because I was a baby of the family. I was, a, I was the last of nine children. And so yeah. From, from the ninth grade to my senior year, I was the only one in the house. And so I was able, I mean, everything was given to me since I little baby. And so mm -hmm. when I got married, I brought that childishness with me in that marriage and that selfishness with me in that marriage. And God spoke to me two years into our marriage. He said, if you continue to be selfish, your marriage is not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so then God brought somebody into my life that was able to mentor me. And then I had a great father. My father was a great man. But there were some things that I became, I was very selfish because of where they raised me. They gave me everything. They made sure I was the baby of the family. So I've always tried to be thoughtful of her needs. 
Uh, I've always tried to make sure that uh, I encourage her in endeavors and things that I always want to be. I'm always in her corner. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I've always tried. You know, when she went back to get her um, her degree. And so I knew that I had to do some other things in order for her to do what she needed to do. And so I tried to make sure that she was first during that season, especially. And so I always try to be thoughtful of her. But the first thing is always praying from a position of her every day and then being thoughtful of her as well. That's well, awesome. that, amazing. That is absolutely yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for that. Now, I want to know, what do you say to individuals who is handling conflict? And will you share with us how you and your wife handle conflicts and difficult times? Because we know no marriage is perfect. But please share with us what has worked for you all these years, because something had to work for you to be together for 33 years. <laughs> and look at each other. I can, I can just look at your pictures, how you look at one another and how she caresses you, you yeah. know, and you can see the love there, that there is real, true, genuine love there and dedication. Please share to us how you have ha handled difficult times in your marriage. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I had shared before, you, sometimes you don't, you know, you have to um, appreciate your spouse and let them know that you appreciate them. But when you go through difficult times, in the good times, I think you have to, we always made time for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important you make time for each other. Notice that I use the word make. Yeah. You know, you have to make, because people say it's not enough time. No, you need to make time for each other. And during those times, we establish friendships and all of those things. So when storms of life happen, mm -hmm. we can go through. Did we have conflicts? Of course. Did we have those days that we was quiet? Yeah. Every couple, you know, had those silent days or you didn't have anything to say. But when we had those conflicts, it was really a conviction where God would deal with yeah. our hearts. Yeah. You yeah. know, going back to what we said, first thing was our faith. When mm -hmm. you had that person, there's a conviction that like, that that's not right. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit began to deal with our heart. And you got to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the things that how we dealt with conflict and that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us from the standpoint of, first of all, it's not right mm -hmm. uh, to live contentiously with one another and to get this thing solved. And so what we've done is that we've learned to communicate a whole lot better throughout the years uh -huh. is that, and one of the things about communicating is being a listener is so important. And I think sometimes in relation, when there's conflict that everybody wants to give their part and share without really listening to the mm -hmm. other person. And so we learned that, and in, in we call it conflict resolution, right? Well, I, I mean, is that when you listen to the other person and then you give them time to speak and then when it's your time to speak, then you listen to them. So I think it's important that people understand the importance of communicating and being a better listener and just a better talker. Because mm -hmm. I always say that God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we should be listening twice as much as we should be speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, you know, it's it's about time for us to wrap this up. It was oh, just this has been good. Short, yeah. Yeah. But we really and truly have appreciated you being with us. And I know the listeners have been blessed tremendously. Awesome. And, and we just thank you for this conversation. And we thank you for sharing how your marriage has not easily been broken. And hopefully, Sylvia, myself, and the listeners out there will apply what you have shared with us today in our own relationships. Inspiration for your day. We thank you for having a burning love moment on this podcast. We really and truly appreciate you all. And if anyone out there feel like you need additional help, 
we want you to know that help is here for you. We are here to help you. Burning Love Outreach is here to help you. The pastors are here to help you. Um, Sylvia Shipman, she's here to help you. And if you would like to know more about Burning Love Outreach, you can go to our website at burningloveoutreach.org. You can leave a prayer request there. You can leave a testimony. If you, um, we would also like for you to um, partner with us. If you'd like to donate to this outreach, you can partner with us, become a one-time donor, or you can become a monthly donor. And Sylvia, if you would share with the listeners how they could contact you if anyone would like to reach Absolutely. out. Absolutely. You can go straight to the website, Jubilee Community Development Corporation.org. Uh, That's Jubilee, J-U-B-I-L-E-E-C-D-C.org. We take you right to our website. Do feel free to reach out to us. We're here in any manner that God will have us to be a blessing to you. Thank yes. you, Serena. And Pastor Ray, Pastor Sharon, would you like to share any last words with our listeners and also let them know how they can contact you and, and tune into your services and your, your website information? Oh, wow. You know, we've had a great time with you all on Burning yes, Love Outreach. This has been really a blessing to share because we've always wanted to impact people that are listening to us and especially families. Yes. And so thank you all for giving up this platform, the opportunity to share. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. As I said, we appreciate you're more than welcome. Everyone joining us, my co-host Sylvia. Thank you for joining us, and those who are listening in. And um, we will just say: remember, don't give in, don't give out, and don't give up. God bless you all until our next episode. God bless. God bless. Wonderful. Family Life Church have two locations in Lynchburg and Roanoke, Virginia. Their website is familylifelynchburg.org, and you can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. How is your TLC 123? Don't forget to call one person, text two people from TLC just to see how they're doing, pray for three people from TLC every day. Let's be faithful to check up on each other, just like the Lord is faithful to us. Every sick
Perhaps the most famous and certainly the most searing of all Jesus' last words from the cross, a cry of abandonment, a cry of loneliness, 
cry of utter desolation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sense this is as bad as it gets for Jesus or for anyone. But what do these words mean? How can God abandon God? What was happening in this moment of Jesus' agony and what might it mean for us yet today? On this Groundwork program, we explore this most arresting cry from our Lord. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, we are now, Dave, on program number four of a seven-part series on the seven last words from the cross. Uh, A good thing to consider at any time, but certainly this makes for a good Lenten meditation during the season of Lent as we move up toward the time of Good Friday and uh, Holy Saturday and ultimately of Easter itself. So we've looked at uh, three sayings so far. The first one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A second one where he takes care of his mother and commends her to uh, the care of his disciple John, son, your mother, mother, your son. Uh, And then we also looked at the response of Jesus to the thief who asked to be remembered in his kingdom. And Jesus said, surely I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And now we are up to this one that in the intro we said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the one word from the cross, which has a clear biblical echo. Right, and it's also maybe at the heart of what's happening on Golgotha. One of the things we said at the outset of this series is the cross is the central truth of the gospel. It's the heart of the Christian faith. What Jesus did in dying on the cross is everything for us as Christians. Mm -hmm. And we said that in exploring these seven words, we'd like to kind of unpack the meaning of that. And with the word that we come to today, we come to the heart of the meaning of Jesus' death. I mean, you know, the first word, Father, forgive them, that's a great example yep. for us to grace, follow. That's grace. amazing. Jesus commending his mother, that's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sees even the lonely and the uh, needy. And then last week uh, in the last program with the word on uh, paradise, you'll be with me, he expresses this comfort, this hope of heaven. All we have to do is turn to him, and he promises that to us. But today, we come really to grapple with the theology of the cross. Right. And Jesus now is, uh, as his agony is increasing, he now feels abandoned by God. And the thing he says is uh, very similar to and probably is a direct quote from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm of lament in the Bible. It begins this way, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So those are the first two verses of Psalm 22. And the first one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is word for word what Jesus said. Yeah, exactly. And actually, if you go a little bit further into the psalm, there are verses there that describe, Mm -hmm. uh, they seem to be speaking specifically about his physical suffering, about the scourging and... and, uh, You can count my bones and they divide up my garments. And, uh, you know, they are laughing at me there. The dogs are are nipping at me. So the the mockery, all all the things that he experienced on the cross. But this word of abandonment, of God-forsakenness, we call it the cry of dereliction. That's really puzzled theologians and uh, scholars and ordinary Christian believers for a long, long time because it just seems so drastic, so radical. Right 
that Jesus would feel this abandonment. Some people have sought a ways around it right. to kind of soften it. Yep. And one of the ways they do that is by pointing out the fact that, okay, if Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, that was sort of a secret code, a secret symbol Jesus was sending that he really wasn't that abandoned after all, because like many Psalms of Lament, Psalm 22 ends on a more positive note. Uh, So here's from near the end of Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, and so forth and so on. So Psalm 22 ends on an upbeat note of God's having come back. And some people say, See, by quoting the first verse, Jesus is saying, it's not so bad. I'm not really abandoned after all. Psalm 22 ends well. I'm fine. But I think that's wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, I to do put it too. Bluntly. I, I agree with you. It's rather dramatic. Uh, the very last verses of Psalm 22 go like this. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Speaking of, apparently of God. Mm-hmm. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. So there's this almost note of triumph, and that must be what Jesus is really saying. But I'm with you, Scott. I I don't think if he meant us to think about the end of the psalm, he would have quoted the beginning. Right. You know, that's a little tricky game to play, psychologizing Jesus. Right. And as, anyways, my friend of the Bible commentator, Dale Bruner, said, people don't do memory work from a cross. Uh, Jesus wasn't trying to help people do a Bible study here by invoking Psalm 22. Right. This is what he felt. Now, the words of Psalm 22, verse 1, came readily to his lips to describe his experience at that moment, but that was the experience. And we're going to talk in the next segment more about how could that be? Right. That is actually what he felt. He was not just kind of uh, faking it when he said he felt abandoned by God. He did. Right. There is another way that uh, some people have suggested to kind of soften this, and they'll say, well, this is what Jesus said, and yes, he was quoting the psalm, he was taking that verse, but it, he was describing his feelings. He wasn't necessarily mm, describing right. the truth or the fact of the matter. He was saying he felt abandoned by God, just as we often feel abandoned by God, and we often ask the question, why, God, why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? You seem so far away. Jesus is just going through that same human experience of lament and despair and and feeling God forsaken, but it's not true. No. It's not really true. I don't buy that one either. No, that's just not the depth of his experience well, here. And b- besides, we're psychologizing Jesus. How do right. we know what was going yeah, on? exactly. We're, we're simply trying to identify ourselves right. with him let's in go this with, case. Let's go with what he said, not yeah. what we think he was feeling. Exactly. Um, we have his words. And, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But just as we close out this first part of the program, Dave, it's interesting to me, though, that at this moment of agony, Still, the words of Scripture came to him, and a fitting word of Scripture came to him, which is evidence that Jesus had spent his whole life, on the human level now, of course, uh, as the human being, he had spent his life marinating in the Scriptures. He was steeped in Scripture. He knew Scripture by heart. And I think we've all seen people at the end of their lives sometimes with the same thing, how readily the old hymns, how readily Psalm 23 or Amazing Grace come to the lips of people in their final moments, even sometimes people whose dementia has robbed them of so many memories, but you start singing Amazing Grace and they sing with you. Yeah, joining right in. So we're agreed, Scott and I, that when Jesus said, 
my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was saying the simple truth that in some inexplicable, unfathomable way, God had turned away from him and cut off his life from Jesus. And we're going to begin to try to plumb the depths of that truth in just a moment. How do you handle difficulties in life? Do you get angry? Do you worry that you did something wrong to deserve it? Or maybe you're just tired of the struggle. In the Bible, many of God's people faced pain and suffering. Jesus himself endured ultimate suffering for our sake so that we can be made right with God. What can studying their struggles teach us about faithfully following Christ? Join today in March for a series of devotions titled Struggling and Growing in Faith. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And Dave, let's uh, go right to the passage now. Um, We're going to go to Mark 15. This saying is in both Matthew and Mm -hmm. Mark. We'll go with the Mark version here. So let's hear from Mark 15, where this last word of Jesus from the cross that we're looking at occurs. So Mark relates that at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon... Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So that uh, holy moment when Jesus breathes his last with a loud cry, We've said several times in the course of this series that we're fitting the words together, sort of like a puzzle, by putting all four gospel accounts. So John has three, Luke has three different ones, Matthew and Mark just have this one central word, the fourth word from the cross, the cry of dereliction. And it's one of those instances which are dotted here and there through the scripture where the gospel writers who are writing in Greek right. preserve the sound of the original words that right. were spoken, and, and in this case, the Hebrew of Hebrew Jesus. words. We think Jesus and the disciples that by this time in history were speaking Aramaic, which is a, a version of Hebrew, but but quite quite a bit different. But this is actually Hebrew. Kind of the common language of right. that part of the world, right. not just in Israel, but all over. Right, and so this is the Hebrew that Psalm 22 would have been written in, in the original Old Testament, which was all in Hebrew. Now, but unfortunately, most of the people standing by the cross weren't up on their Hebrew. Uh, maybe they knew Aramaic, and uh, maybe they knew uh, Latin or something. Yeah. But uh, they didn't know uh, Hebrew very well. So when they hear Eloi, they hear Elijah. Now, Eloi means God, but right. my God, actually. But they thought he was calling Elijah. They thought Jesus was getting delirious, thought maybe Elijah would come and take him off the cross. So they give him some wine vinegar, which was kind of an anesthetic, huh. to keep him going a little longer, yeah. to keep the show going. This is funny. Uh, isn't this funny? Now he thinks Elijah can take him down. Let's see. Let's wait and see. 
But he wasn't calling Elijah. He was calling out to his God, yeah. and they just misunderstood the Hebrew. Well, by this time, too, Jesus has been hanging there for at least three hours, yep. these these terrible three hours of darkness. His suffering has just about become humanly intolerable. As we're going to see in our next program, his lips are parched, his throat is like sandpaper. He can barely croak this out, so he's terribly thirsty. And as you said, Scott, the crowd, this is just more you know, more fun for them. They've been mocking him. They maybe have gotten a little tired of that, of the humor. They're hanging around to see what happens. And, oh, wait, here's something new. Maybe, maybe we're going to see some kind of supernatural miracle man show up, Elijah. So let's hang in there a little bit longer. And instead, they miss maybe the most profound thing that's ever happened in human history. Right, because we believe— as Christians, that from all eternity, God was triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that they have constantly been in complete union with each other. They are three different persons, but to, only together do they make up the one God. Their unity is so strong, their love, their fellowship. They've been one forever. And now it appears that as part of the payment for sin, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit, Now it appears that the Father, for sure, but probably the Holy Spirit, therefore, too, have somehow, who knows how, withdrawn from Jesus. He can't get access to them for the moment. They've turned their backs on him in a way that from all eternity had never happened within the Godhead, within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But now the Son can't get at the Father, can't get at the Spirit, and that is God-forsakenness. And indeed, the theologian John Calvin said that was hell. I was thinking as you were talking, Scott, of maybe a a small analogy. You know, in 1945, for the first time, scientists were able to split an atom, Mm -hmm. and they actually broke it apart, broke those almost indissoluble bonds between uh, electron and proton, and the result was an incredible explosion, a, a mushroom cloud. And in some uh, even more profound way, the indissoluble, indestructible bonds of love that join Father, Son, and Spirit into one God were broken, were ruptured on the cross as the Son of God bore the sin of the whole world. And you mentioned Calvin and and the Reformers' view that this was when Jesus literally tasted hell and tasted it for us, because that's the definition of hell. Hell isn't about outer darkness or brimstone and fire and all of that. Uh, The great preacher and poet John Donne said, those things are tickling compared to the reality of hell. Hell is actually separation from God. God who is life, God who is love, God who is everything. And as many theologians have pointed out, the world's most hardened atheist today who wants nothing to do with God actually has no idea what that experience is like, because even an atheist still is living in God's world and could turn to God at a moment's notice. God is still there for even the atheist, but not in hell. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that God taught us to pray, Jesus taught us to pray, uh, your will be done. But a lot of people refuse to say that to God. So in the end, God will say to them, fine, your will be done then. You didn't want anything to do with me. You will never have anything more to do with me. And that is the experience of hell. And that is what Jesus did. So in the Apostles' Creed, according to the Reformers anyway, when we say the line, he descended into hell, 
Calvin says that was this moment on the cross, not yep. a literal descent into a place, but the moment of being abandoned by Father and Spirit, which is sin's greatest and worst punishment. He felt it during those three hours of darkness, and maybe that's why the darkness descended to kind of uh, indicate in some physical way as a sort of parable what Jesus was experiencing on the cross, not because of his own sin, but because of ours. And that's the depths of love uh, that we try to express in our own uh, stumbling and sometimes feeble way when we explain the basic truths of the gospel of Christ dying for us, Christ actually tasting hell for us as he hung there and, and cried out with that loud cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How God can forsake himself, how the Father and the Son can somehow be estranged, we don't understand. Yeah. But we believe he did it and he experienced it and he did it for us right. so has, that we don't have right. to go through this. And in just a moment, let's think about that, uh, of what are the implications for our lives today that Jesus had this experience. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. We're talking about the fourth word from the cross, the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this word, we come really to the heart of the gospel, how Christ became, for us sinners, our substitute, our sacrifice, the one who tasted not just death, but even hell, even separation from God on our behalf so that we don't go through that right. ourselves. And interestingly, the pastor and theologian Fleming Rutledge uh, released a book uh, just recently about a year, year and a half ago called The Crucifixion. It's a masterful work. And she points to a very interesting verse from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul wrote something that has puzzled theologians for years. So here's 2 Corinthians 5, starting at the 18th verse, where Paul writes, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Fleming Rutledge points out, what does it mean that God made Jesus to be sin? Mm. How was Jesus made to be sin? Well, yeah, and certainly uh, what it means, I guess, at its simplest level, uh, if we can kind of reduce it to basics, is that he took our place. As sinners, we deserve that experience of being cut off from God. God, it's, uh, so much comes together in the whole course of the Bible at this moment and becomes more understandable for us. For example, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God said to them, if you disobey me, in the day that you eat that, you will die. Mm -hmm. 
and yet they didn't die, at least not literally, physically. But he was talking about a different kind of death, spiritual death, leading ultimately to eternal death or eternal separation from God, eternally being cut off. And as Jesus experiences this in his infinite goodness and his deity, really, as God in the flesh, uh, somehow he makes an infinite satisfaction for that in our place and experiences on our behalf what we should have had. Right. So God made him to be sin. He made him to be us, <laughs> really. Right. Right? We just said that's sometimes called the substitutionary uh, aspect of the atonement. There are lots of different theories on how Jesus saved us in the atonement. I tend to think they're different aspects of the atonement, that right. they all have exactly. some truth A lot of it. ways we could talk about right. it. Right. Yeah. But the substitutionary one has been a leading one in history. He took our place. And that has, I mean, obviously, theologically and in terms of our very salvation, that has a lot of uh, a deep, deep, deep meaning. But I think practically, even for today, Dave, we can think about the fact that by taking our place in the experience of hell, as we were just saying uh, in the prior segment, by going to hell for us so we don't have to, we can be assured that we will never experience hell. We will never be truly abandoned by God. Jesus did that and had that experience for us. Yeah. That doesn't mean, though, that well, that that lament is still wrong, right? I mean, yeah, we, there are right, those yeah. seasons when we, we can still feel, feel that something. Way. Yeah, absolutely. But if I could just piggyback on that for a moment, I mean, ever since I was a child, you know, I, I was raised in the church and. Communion was always a big deal back then. You know, it happened four times a year. So it it was always according to the liturgy, and the same words were always read. It was a a longer service. And I just think as an impressionable child, those words kind of stuck with me. And I, I have never been able to forget the segment in our communion service where the minister said that he took upon himself our flesh and blood, and fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross, where he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's our word. And then it added this line, so that we might be accepted by God and never be forsaken by him. I just love that thought because he was forsaken for those moments on the cross that seemed like an eternity. Perhaps as an eternal being, they were an eternity in a sense for him. And so fulfilled for us that payment and we'll never be forsaken as right. a result. We will never be forsaken by God. We have our dark nights of the soul sometimes. We have seasons in our lives when we pray the Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 22. Uh, the Psalms of Lament are in the Bible as model prayers for us. So it's okay to tell God, you know, it feels like you're not here. It feels like you've uh, gone off duty. It feels like when I pray, you're not picking up the phone on your end of the conversation. We will feel that way at times. But the great assurance is it's not the ultimate truth. God is never going to abandon us, even when we feel abandoned for a season. And that is, Dave, as you said, because of what Jesus did. This is what being God's son means. And you know, in Mark's gospel, every time somebody identified Jesus as God's son, Jesus said, shh, yeah, right. don't, don't tell anybody, keep it secret. Scholars call it the messianic, messianic secret. secret. Uh, and they wonder, why is that? And probably yeah. the best reason is because they wouldn't have understood what kind right. of Messiah they he was supposed to be. They would have to the wrong conclusion. But there's only one person in Mark's gospel who says this is the son of God and is not told to be quiet, and it's the soldier at the cross, and he's not told to be quiet because it's okay to say it. Now that you see 
what being God's son means, the depths of agony, the depths of hell. When the soldier saw how he died, Mark says, he said, surely this was the son of God, because now that Jesus has gone to the end, now we know what being the son of God really means. Yeah, there's an old saying from the military, RHIP, rank hath its privileges, (laughs) and apparently the privilege of ultimate rank, being God, means uh, the privilege of lowering yourself and giving of yourself and even dying yourself. Can God die somehow? Yes, God did die. Can God go to hell? Can God abandon himself? Yes, somehow he did so that we could be saved. And that's wonderful good news for us. Thanks be to God. I certainly hope that you enjoyed that feature there from Groundworks and I'm sure that like me you've learned a lot and probably developed a new perspective to the last words of Christ on the cross and how grateful we are for all that he endured for our sins. So that's it for inspiration for your day for today. I really hope you enjoyed the program, that it put a smile on your face, a spring in your step, and a renewed sense of hope in your heart. If you are looking for a church, well, TLC, the Lakeside Church, is actually having in-person services once again. You do have to register, so go to their website for all the details. 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The website is www.thelakesidechurch.ca. They're also offering Sunday school classes via Zoom. And you can also um, enjoy prayer meeting with them and send in your prayer requests and testimonies uh, to the Toronto Lakeside Church. Sorry, that's the Lakeside Church Toronto on Facebook. So lots of great programs and services from the Lakeside Church. Thanks to them for being our sponsor and also to Ken's Jewelry. All the best, everybody. God bless you and have a wonderful week. So despite the world as a wondrous attraction to me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above.
fall. 